Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. All right, well, Kingdom Partnership, what we're going to read first this morning Uh, follows a passage titled Faith in Action. It's in the book of Hebrews. And uh, this passage that uh, we're going to read, it follows a section which is commonly referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it's heroes in the Bible who followed and obeyed God in faith against a lot of adversity, a lot of challenge, and also not even seeing the promises of God come to pass in their life. So we're going to pick up the Bible after that section in Hebrews 11.39. And this is going to kind of frame my message this morning. It's going to come up on the screen for us. Hebrews 11 verse 39 says this. Speaking of the Hall of Fame of faith people here, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God had a better plan. Hebrews 12 verse 1 carries on and says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Listen to this, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 2 says, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Um, You may know that verse from another translation, which is He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And both of those are just English translations trying to get to the heart of what God is saying in this passage. And this word gets swapped out a little bit. But essentially what we land at is that He's the pioneer, the author, the initiator of faith. God is the pioneer, the author and the initiator of your faith. And then the end part is He's the finisher. He's the perfecter of our faith. And that word is speaking to bringing to completion, bringing to fulfilment. He's the author and He's the finisher. He'll start it, He'll see it through to the end. God is there at the beginning of our faith journey and everybody, God will be with you there at the end. And Scripture speaks to the middle, and God is right there too. But the bad news is, so are we. (laughs) Philippians 2 verse 5 says this, says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Listen to this. Continue to work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil His good purpose. When it speaks of working out our salvation there with fear and trembling, trembling, this is really speaking of reverence, submission and obedience. Surrender to God. The way we should see walking out our salvation is that you are stewarding a holy work. You might prefer this language. You are hosting a work of God within you. So Kingdom Partnership this morning, I want to talk about three things that are going to be framed by those passages. They're going to come up on the screen. These three things are this, His reign in me, my sin in me, and His work in me. It's a Kingdom Partnership as we navigate His reign in me, my sin in me, and His work in me. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how the Old Testament said that we couldn't eat lobster. Who remembers that? Anyone had lobster since then, since you found out it's okay? Be released, have some lobster. But what we see in the Old Testament is that the Old Testament law, which people had to hold to, to be approved before God, that Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it. And then we see Peter, he has a vision of all of these animals. And we get this incredible picture of a vision he has where a sheet is in front of these animals and the voice of God says, rise up and eat. Essentially giving him permission to now eat animals which he couldn't eat before because Peter's no longer now under the law. He's not held by the law. He's under the grace of Jesus Christ. He's held by his love, held by his sacrifice. And so you and I can partake of that as well. We can, you know, if you want to put some animals behind a sheet and then say, eat, you can do that. You can eat whatever you want. We're going to read a passage which reinforces that and talks a little bit about that first point we had there about Christ's reign in us in Romans 14. I love this passage and we're going to read a a good chunk here, but I don't think there's such a thing as too big a chunk in church unless it's four hours. And like in that story when Paul preaches so long someone dies, that's probably pushing it a bit. But I'm not going to do that. But we're going to read a good chunk here in Romans 14. I think it's going to bless you. Uh, This section is entitled The Weak and the Strong and it says this, Romans 14 verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. That's a word for someone this morning. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Don't use that scripture against any of your vegan friends. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. There it is. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as a special, uh, as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God." For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. We just read that earlier. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 
Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacles in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. And this is the important part of what I want to share. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. I'll just read verse 17 again. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Everyone, the kingdom of God does not consist of external things like food, but in spiritual things like righteousness in action and thought, peace and joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. As that scripture says, days and diets are not the issue, but whether what is being done is committed to God. Days and diets are not the issue, but whether what is being done is committed to the Lord. We, we can actually observe that scripture in action today because of the absence of God. When it talks about the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. When you see the absence of God in society, we also see the absence of righteousness, peace and joy. You look at places that are very ungodly, what are they lacking? They're lacking righteousness, peace and joy. Where God is King, you see an increased manifestation of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When it says in verse 17, the Kingdom of God is not, and it is this, it's the Greek words, Basileia to Theo. Thank you. Um, when the Kingdom of God is mentioned in Scripture, it can be speaking to the realm of God or the reign of God. So we can be talking about the kingdom of God as in God's realm or His reign over something or someone. In this passage here, when it uses those Greek words, it is talking about His reign. It's the reign of God. God's reign in someone's life or in a place's life is X, Y, Z. So in this passage, it's talking about lordship. It's talking about Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. It's talking about Jesus Christ being king of all in that place or in that person. God living and leading. It's talking about God on the throne of a person's heart. You know, sometimes the cry of the believer, and it's not wrong, but the cry of the believer can be, we are here to reign. But that only helps if he first reigns in the person that's wanting to reign. The kingdom of God in reigning is so, so important. And the question for us today is, whose devotion to God matters to you the most? Whose devotion to God matters to you the most? Last Friday, um, I preached a message called Religiously Non-Religious. And I want to encourage you to listen to it because I believe it will really help you. But I prepared that uh, for religion-averse non-believers and I prepared it for religious believers seeking to remedy religious thinking like I just mentioned. And I'm becoming more passionate about that and speaking to that um, as I'm gaining more understanding of how it deceptively presents religious think, uh, thinking I'm speaking of. 
I'm getting more passionate about it as I'm reading just how engaged Jesus was in eradicating that from the church. And some of the symptoms that I shared in that message, I'll just touch on a couple of them, was wanting others to follow Jesus and His teachings because of how it affects us. We want people to follow Jesus because they're not following Jesus affects me in a negative way. That's a form of religion. The goal of getting to heaven we have with no care of who else comes. Another expression of that religion can be the desire to get to a paradise called heaven without the desire to walk with a person called Jesus. Uh, It's trying to bring to the masses on the outside what God is trying to do in you on the inside. If we're not careful, we can be more proactive in seeing Christ in the behaviours of others than Christ on the throne of our heart. Just a cheeky side note, it's interesting that when our faith and our practices of faith are threatened from the outside, we're super passionate and super proactive. When in fact, you've been your own biggest threat to your faith the whole time. Your hobbies threatened your engagement with faith long before you thought the government did. Before King Nebuchadnezzar threatened Daniel's prayer life, his flesh did. The other form of religion that I think is is very dangerous is that we can be annoyed by people's ignorance when we should be grieved by their sin. We should have empathy for their brokenness, not jokes for their issues. And ultimately, as those passages suggest, we need to give more effort and focus to the issues in us. So whose devotion to God matters to you the most? Whose reign of the King matters to you the most? For the king's reign is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Is Christ reigning as king in you? You know, righteousness in Scripture, this can get confusing as well because it can speak to actions or it can speak to a condition. You know, one definition of righteousness, which I enjoyed, was conforming of one's nature to uh, to God's holy standard. And so we we can't do that. Let me just read that definition again. Conforming of one's nature to God's holy standard. We we can't do that. God gives us that attribute that is His alone and allows us to walk in righteousness, but He he gives it to us. And I like this word, you might have heard it before, He imputes His righteousness to us. And my my study Bible, I've been loving it at the moment. It's been great. It sounds like it's getting better, but it's always been the same. I just think stuff's resonating with me. But I love that. It says this. It says, On the cross, Jesus took our sin upon Himself and purchased our salvation. Someone say amen. Amen. We've been justified by His blood. And part of that justification is an imputation of His own righteousness. So Paul puts it this way. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is righteous by virtue of His very nature. He is the Son of God. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, that that righteousness is given to all who believe. And that's imputation, the giving of Christ's righteousness to sinners. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Kingdom partnership. Having Christ's righteousness imputed to us uh, does not mean that we automatically do what is right as you're well aware, (laughs) that will come through the process of sanctification. And uh, what what it does mean is that we are positionally righteous, even though we still sin. We are legally righteous before God. God has credited the righteousness of Jesus to our account. And He did this when He saved us. And in grace, the holiness of Jesus is ascribed to us. 
and, and as it says in Corinthians, I love it says, Christ has become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. By having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, we can be seen as sinless as Jesus is sinless. Having Christ's righteousness imputed to us does not mean that we automatically do what is right. And so to help us, I've drafted a little timeline of my sanctification. It's four points. I'm just speaking from my own experience here. Options presented. Life and death. Heaven and hell. God and Satan. Agency given. I've got the option. I have the ability to make the choice out of those two. Number three, perspective revealed. God, by His grace, reveals to me that heaven's probably better than hell. (laughs) That light's probably better than darkness. That being found by God is probably better than being lost in my own sin. So options presented, agency given, perspective is revealed. What could go wrong? Pain allowed. Pain allowed. It's my timeline of my sanctification. There's a lot of pain going on. Why is that? Well, it's because of point number two, agency's given. (laughs) I've got the ability to choose God and then ongoing, I've got the agency to choose God or not to choose God. And the other problem is I keep engaging in sin. Some of the pain is missing the old sins. But the great thing is, is that God does a work on that too. Now, you might be asking, Jordan, what sin do you mean? Well, we've got the low-hanging fruit that most people are aware of. Even people that don't follow uh, Jesus, they'd be aware of the seven deadly sins. Uh, Envy, gluttony, greed, lust, pride, wrath and sloth. Sloth's my favourite because it's also an animal. Um, but there's, there's many lists in Scripture of sins. The New Testament's very helpful. It doesn't make it hard for us to grab a hold of what practices should I not do because they are sin before God. And we've been in Romans a little bit today, so we're going to carry on and use the list from Romans. And this is Romans 1, 24 to 32. And this makes it pretty clear for us and helps us. But this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about engaging with sin. It says, Therefore... God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Uh, Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Here's the list. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. So they got creative um, and we, we tend to do that, don't we? They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them. Again, the New Testament just paints 2023 so well. That's a good list for us right there. Um, But when we're freed, 
We're made sinless, but we don't lose sinful desire straight away, do we? God takes us by the hand and takes us on a journey. And I love listening to uh, Pastor John Tyson. He, he was talking about God taking him on a journey of being free from sin. He said that it always starts with like these big macro ones where it's like, I need to stop. Uh, what's a good example of a macro sin? Um, punching people and, and like I'm stealing and I just like robbed the bank and now I've got three girlfriends and I'm doing this stuff. And then eventually as God sanctifies you and heals you, it ends up being like, hey, what was the motive of that? statement. And so, and they're all sin. And that's the thing. And even in that Roman section, they've put like gossip and not obeying your parents right next to murder. And so God's no respecter of persons, but He's no respecter of sins either. It's just all sin to God. But we don't lose the sinful desire straight away. And I've got a funny story to help kind of uh, like explain this a little bit better. But our son Micah, from maybe the time, he, I don't know how old he was, maybe like four or five months, he would have a dummy for bed. And so he, he would love a dummy for bed and, and me and Bianca loved it too because it would send him right off. And so he had a dummy, but Bianca and I are getting ready for our second son to be here. And so we wanted to try and get rid of the dummy for baby number two. And Micah's gonna get into a big boy bed. And so we're getting the wheels in motion to do all that. And so we had a family meeting about the dummy. And we said, now Micah, <laughs> mummy and daddy think it's time for us to say goodbye to our dummies. And so he's kind of just like, okay. But we had a plan and we said, mate, we know it's going to be so hard and we know how much you love them and we're so proud of you for, for giving this a go and going on this journey. So tonight we're going to buy you a really great toy that you'd love to have and whenever you get sad about your dummies, just remember that great toy. And someone told us that's a good thing to do and it was a great thing to do. So he's like, okay, cool, he's up for it. So we get all the dummies and like he puts them in the bin. We head off to the shops. We get a Paw Patrol tower. So he is pumped. He gets home. He's so excited. He's loving the Paw Patrol Tower. He doesn't mention the dummies all day. Even we get to bedtime and again, we're saying, Micah, well done, mate. We're so proud of you for being up for this. We know it's hard and he's just fine. He goes to bed and me and Bianca close the door and we're out in the kitchen and we're like, huh. It's just silence. We're like, it actually worked. Sometimes that happens in parenting where you're like, it actually worked. We thought it did. Because a few minutes later, we hear him really going for it. So I go in, and, and Mike is not a hugely emotional kid. He's, you, can, you can chat with him, you can reason with him. He very rarely like pops his lid. And um, I go in, and he pops his lid. And I'm trying to have this conversation with him like, mate, I'm so sorry that you're sad, but you're doing such a great job, mate. We don't need our dummy anymore. And remember, you've got that awesome Paw Patrol tower to say well done. And he just yelled in my face, I don't even want the Paw Patrol tower. And I was like, <laughs> and how funny. He actually was making a mature step and got something he really wanted. He did want it and he did love it. But in the moment, he's like, give me back the old thing. I don't even want the new thing. But when we get saved, we're so up for the righteousness of God. We're so up for the sinless condition I receive. But we get a few months in and we say, I don't even want the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Give me all the sin back. <sighs> that jumped out of me. That was... Give me the other stuff back. But thank God we're in a kingdom partnership. And you know, I, I recently preached a two-parter on pride and humility. And at the end, I was, uh, it was half tongue in cheek, but I was having fun with the idea of when we're trying to avoid being prideful, um, we never admit we're happy with anything that we do or that we did something well. We just say it was all God. 
right? So you can, you can you do something at church, maybe run a game in kids and someone says, hey, great job with the game today. The kids had so much fun. It was all God. Or you put on an afternoon tea and people say, thanks for the food. That was so generous. It was all the Lord. <laughs> it was all God. And our response to that usually is like, when they do an afternoon tea, the afternoon tea was all God. You're like, wasn't that good? If God put on an afternoon tea, can you imagine what that would be like? But I was talking about a healthy filter of that is to run through your mind, who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? But can I ask this morning, what about in the opposite situation? When things don't go well in your faith walk, who gets the blame? Because if it's all God, when stuff hits the fan, whose fault is it? If you somehow say, I don't own and I'm not responsible for any of the fruit in my life, then who's responsible for the failings? Because failings happen. You get saved and then you don't even want the Paw Patrol Tower anymore. And you start dipping into that Romans list again. Because God is changing your desires, but you're not there yet because He's holding you by the hand in a kingdom partnership to take you to where He's called you to be. What we can do so unwisely, church, and, and listen to me here, is in the aftermath of, of chaos we create, we say things like this. God knows what He's doing. I'll give you an example. I engage with all of the sins in Romans. Stuff starts going crazy in my life and I say, God knows what He's doing. I enter into some, you know, toxic relationship that's unwise and all chaos just is created and I'm left in the aftermath and I say to people, but God knows what He's doing. And my response to that is, What's God doing in this situation? What do you mean? Or we, we do something and we say, um, I just know God's moving. It's like, He's going to have to now. But I think the moving before was somebody else. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? I have been this person. I have created chaos and lawlessness in my life. And then on the back end, I'll say to my mum, God's up to something. It's like, nah, mate, you've been up to something. <laughs> There's a kingdom partnership and you're not holding up your end of the deal, mate. <laughs> I think <laughs> in our kingdom partnership, we have kingdom problems and the, the cause is, is never God. It's always us. <laughs> Whose fault is the king's reign in me when it's going poorly? Is it the king or the host? <laughs> I would suggest it's the host. It's this misunderstanding, everybody, that if God allows it, He authored it. And it's a misunderstanding that if God allows it, He's affirming it. And it can be a bit of a misunderstanding or a dance between foreknowledge and predestination. Just because He knows it's going to happen doesn't mean He wanted it to. You have a choice. That was point number two of my, my crude sanctification journey. Agency's given. When we say things like, it's all God, in terms of the state or the condition of our life or our faith, it is an easy way to abdicate personal responsibility in what is actually a beautiful kingdom partnership. We do weird things like attribute ungodly decisions and behaviours to God's will. We partner everybody with the supernatural power of God. You have a part to play. Because if you don't, <laughs> who's to blame when stuff doesn't work? And I'll put it this way, everybody. The battle is the Lord's, but we're invited to put the armour on. We're called to the battlefield. He is the captain, but we're also in the army. It's wrong to go to either extreme. 
in working out your salvation, you need the power of God. You need the person of God. You need the work of God at work in your life, but you also need to work. But I'll also say that extreme is dangerous too. It's not all on you. The battle is the Lord's, but you still need to show up in your armour because it's a kingdom partnership. Philippians 2.12, we'll just revisit that. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Speaks of this idea of wrestling, submission and obedience, surrender, reverence to God. You're stewarding a holy work. If we don't see our sanctification as a kingdom partnership, everybody, our faith journey as a partnership with the supernatural work of God, we'll seek out theological viewpoints that accommodate our not changing. I'll just say that again. If we don't see it as a partnership, we seek out theological viewpoints to accommodate our not changing. Because if I totally accept defeat for the battles in me, it becomes entirely the Lord's fault when it doesn't work. And what you're saying is, is my faith journey is being undermined by the person who started it. That just doesn't make sense. But it does make sense if you have a part to play. Everybody, life is way less spiritual than you think. And uh, life is also way more spiritual than you think. Um, But a supernatural move of God, a supernatural touch of God is always preceded by natural obedience to God's Word. Yet we'll often put a supernatural demand on God without preceded natural obedience. And you know what ends up happening? And this might resonate with you. You might have been there where you're desperate for supernatural solutions to a disobedience-induced problem. It's very hard in Scripture, everybody, to find a miracle God did that wasn't preceded by obedience to an instruction from God or from a prophet of God. So let's look at this. Um, Noah builds an ark. Noah build an ark and the water will come. Moses, speak to the rock, the water will come. Moses, keep your arms up, you'll win the battle. Joshua, walk around the city, I'll bring the walls down. Naaman, you wash yourself, I'll take the leprosy away. To the widow, you fill the jars, I'll make the oil flow. To the disciples, you throw the nets, I'll provide the fish. Even with the coin, you catch the fish, I'll provide the coin. To the disciples, you get me the food, I'll multiply it. You fill the jars with water, I'll turn it to wine. To the person with the withered hand, you stretch out your hands, I'll touch it. All were instructions to do natural things that then God supernaturally breathes on. We we want the supernatural breakthrough in our sanctification without the natural obedience to God. Listen to this. God will seldom do supernaturally what you can do naturally. God will seldom do supernaturally what you can do naturally, empowered by His Spirit gracing your obedient works. God can light the Holy Ghost spark to ignite the gas you turned on. That's the picture I like to think of. Is my obedience to God's Word is like, God's. here's the gas. He's like, awesome. One spark. We just want all spark, no gas. And if if you're all gas, no spark, people start passing out. But it's it's a kingdom partnership, everybody. I love what Timothy Keller said. He said, we're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. What that means is the faith remains within you. It's outworked by faith. And just as we get ready to close, I do just want to make it abundantly clear. There's a difference between our partnership in our sanctification, our transformation. It's a big difference between that and our involvement in our salvation. 
That is the work of God. That is the supernatural power of God. And in terms of salvation, this is a lot like, if you're familiar with, uh, we're a bit short on time, I might do a bit more in the second one. But the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament is so interesting because in Old Testament times, if I was gonna enter into a covenant relationship with somebody, a promise before God, we're gonna be held to it forever. If me and Ross were to make a covenant together, we would take animals, we would cut them in half, we would put them either side, we would walk through it together as a sign to say, this is the covenant we're making. That's actually where walking down the aisle for marriage kind of comes from, making a covenant relationship before God, walking down. We just don't do the dead pigeons anymore, which is great. But what's so interesting about the covenant that God makes with Abraham is God puts Abraham asleep. And so everything's set up for the covenant to be made, but God walks down by Himself. He makes the promise with Himself. Why does God do that? The, the, the Old Testament actually tells us not to make promises to God because we can't keep them. And so in a promise that God makes with us, in a covenant we have with God, He's holding up all of the agreement. We are not holding up any of it. And what happened in the Old Testament, people get confused because all of the Israelites were told to circumcise themselves. And again, Pastor Luke's going to unpack that in another service another time. But the circumcision wasn't a term that if they didn't keep it would break the covenant. It was to indicate they were in covenant because you can't break a covenant you're not holding up. God's holding it up entirely. They simply had a marker for I'm under the covenant of God. That's why God got so angry at Moses. He's about to lead God's people and his son didn't have the indicator. They're under the covenant with God. New Testament talks about circumcision of the heart where now we have something within us that is an indicator. I'm under the covenant of God and it's a covenant I'm not holding any up any, any side of the deal with. I can't. And with the new covenant that now made under Jesus Christ, He fulfills all His promises. Even in the face of our failings, thank God I didn't make a promise and a deal with God. God just swept me up and brought me into covenant made a mark on my heart that now says I'm under covenant and now He's partnering with me in transforming me and changing me from the inside out into who He's called me to be. You can't break covenant with God because we're incapable of holding up our end of the deal. He knew that, so that's why He didn't have to shake His hand. <laughs> we simply enter in or we don't. Our journey with Christ can feel like beautiful chaos. It's beautiful chaos. And if it doesn't feel like beautiful chaos yet, just keep walking it out. Because you've got to experience pain. It's the pain of change. It's the pain of letting go. It's the pain of you, you know, you're wanting, you don't even want the Port Patrol Tower anymore. But there's, a, there's a, a painful transformation to undergo, but it's beautiful. It feels chaotic because we're chaotic. And in an equation where walking with God is beautiful chaos, He brings the beautiful, we bring the chaos. And in engaging in a relationship with God, He made the arrangements, He walked through, He put us to sleep. That's what happened with Abraham. Abraham's asleep, wakes up, he's in covenant. What? I didn't even go through. You didn't have to because I knew you couldn't keep up your end of the deal. He's just got to swallow his pride and go, all right. And that's how we enter into a relationship with God as well. I'm going to swallow my pride, realise I can't play a part in this. I'm not even holding up my end of the deal because I can't. I'm simply receiving from God. And so this morning... You've got an opportunity to enter into covenant relationship with God where it's now a kingdom partnership, where God holds you by the hand. He upholds your spirit. He, he clothes you with His righteousness. He empowers you from on high to do what you couldn't do before. He supernaturally empowers you to do natural things that you couldn't do before. But everybody, you've got a great part to play in experiencing the work of God, but you don't really play a big part in kicking off 
that connection to God. And what we do at church is that expression is simply just responding to God to say, God, I, want, I need to receive from You. You raising your hand doesn't do anything in the supernatural. It does something in your heart as an acknowledgement, I need to receive from God. It's just an outward expression of what God's doing on the inside of your heart. And so you've got an opportunity to do that today. God wants to bring supernatural power to your life. God wants to bring new life to you. God wants to forgive you of your sin. God wants to give you eternal life. God wants to give you a transformed life this side of eternity. I talked about before how God gives us choice. And it is that simple. It is that black and white because it is light and darkness. It is heaven and hell. It is the things of darkness and Satan and it's the work of God. And that choice is before us. And I would encourage you today, make the right choice. And as God revealed to me perspective, I just pray by the Holy Spirit this morning, your eyes are open. The eyes of your heart are open to the spiritual realm, to God, and that you would no longer live in deception, but now live in the light of God as He forms you into who He called you to be. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.